Today I want to talk about the God of miracles. Now, I'm practicing on you. 50 years of preaching, 40 as a pastor, I've never preached, I've never dared to preach the text I'm going to preach at you today. And I'm not going to do a real good job of exegeting it, but we'll get started. Um, it is a six-hour sermon. <laughs> well, well, we'll get going. So um, that's where we're, we're going today. And, and let's, uh, you stood, it, do, you, do you like to stand in honor of the scripture? Is that good? Let's do that, shall we? That, that's why we stand. See, all scripture is inspired from God and is profitable. So we stand in honor not just of the scripture, but the one who inspired it so we would have the actual intentional message that God wants us to have. Is that fair? So here we go. Let's read this together. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That's pretty good. That's what Jesus said to his disciples back then. Then skip down about seven verses and come to this one. Here's what Jesus commanded them. Read it with me. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Well, that sounds good for them. The problem is that, that Jesus later on told them that everybody that comes to him through them that called his disciples, go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You're all familiar with Matthew 28. He told them to teach them to obey everything he commanded, which includes that. Now, I'm supposed to come back in a couple of weeks, and you might want to have a meeting after this service. <laughs> Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Huh? You guys believe that the Bible's inspired? Huh? Jesus, we need help. Amen? And you're the helper. Everybody thinks Jesus is the helper. Say, I do. I do. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to ask Debbie if she'd be willing to come and try to cover a long story in a few seconds. Well, I, I really am. It's just a joy to be here. I just love that. I just want to tell you, though, that Hal came home. He, he had to cut his conference short because he was having a coughing fit, and he couldn't teach or he couldn't do any preaching, so he had to come home from Idaho early. When he got home, he was coughing so badly, he'd called one of his doctor friends, and his doctor friend said, Hal, get to the ER. So he went to the ER, and of course, they took him in and gave him a COVID test and found that he not only had pneumonia, but he had COVID. And in the next two weeks, what he, we wanted to get better only got worse. And in fact, after two weeks, he had four major, major diseases. And, and, and they put him on an airflow that was 65 liters. You can't live on liters of 65 for long. And he was on it for 11 days. At the end of 11 days, the doctor came in. It was, doctor, it was day 23. And he said, Hal, your lungs are dead. 
they will never live again. And you have suffered a mortal wound and you have to decide, do you want comfort care or do you want to go on a ventilator? Now, comfort care is an easy way to die. Don't go on the ventilator, he said. If you do survive it, which you probably won't, then after that, your life will be horrendous. So you've got to make the decision. This is day 23. And he said, oh, Owen oh Hal, you got to help your family. You got to tell them. They think you're going to go home. They think, they believe that you're going to get well. You've got to bring them along. Now, what I didn't tell you yet is that on the second day, our five families all got together at 8 o'clock every single night on a Zoom call and prayed for Hal's complete healing. With faith, we prayed intensively for God to be at work and for his power to be released. But it's day 23, and the doctor has no hope whatsoever. And Hal, you've got to make this decision. Well, day 24 came. Day 24, our 10-year-old grandson went in to pray for 45 minutes for his grandpa And he came out and he said, Mom, he said, "Uh, I just had a time with Jesus like I've never had before. I think tomorrow is going to be Poppy's very best day. Also, our son Dan, on that 24th day, knew that God wanted him to come strongly against the evil forces and come against the enemy that was attacking his dad. Also, On day 24, the doctor came back, and he he said this very same message. And this time, he even was more forceful. Hal, you've got to make a decision. Hal had been spending a lot of time with God during those 24 days. And I hope you're going to tell some of those conversations because they were so important as he looked Jesus in the eye. Jesus what do you want? What, what decision do you want me to make? And also, and the doctor said, oh, hell, I do have some good news. I'm going to move you out of the COVID unit, unit and you're going to uh, go to another room, and your wife is going to be able to come in for about 30 minutes tomorrow. Later, he told us it was because he wanted Hal to see me before he died. It was my last chance. I hadn't seen him in those 25 days. So day 25 came, and I walked in. Hal reached up, and he hugged me, and he held me close, and he sobbed and sobbed. He, he said it was because it triggered all of the feelings that he'd had of the hours that I'd spent on FaceTime with him, praying and reading scripture and singing to him even through the night. Finally, I I sat down and a doctor came in. The doctor went over to the wall and, and started turning down the oxygen from 65. Really? 65, 50, 50. 45. It hadn't been turned down in all of those 25 days. 35, 30, 
When it got to 30, she came and she took the big hose that he'd been having on him and to put on a little nasal canola and, and then went back to the wall. 30, 25, 15, 5. Hal and I just stared at each other. We didn't say a word. It was like, is this really happening? I, I, we were, it was like not really happening. <laughs> and... And I'm thinking, he's going to die. Then the nurse walked in, or the doctor walked in front of me and said, I'll be back in 30 minutes. And we didn't know exactly. We, we were just stunned. It's just amazing that we were in silence at that moment. Another doctor walked in and said, you've probably had some frightening and scary experiences these last few days. Oh, I said, we have 25 of those days. She said, I'm a doctor. I'm in a family of doctors. I'm in a community of doctors. I know doctors all over the United States. And anyone with your situation, with your problems that you're going through, we know of no one who has survived. I said, I, I, I think we've seen a miracle. She said, oh, you have. You have. God came in. God touched him. God healed him. And I got to be there to watch the miraculous work of God. Recently, we just been, went back for his six-month pulmonary test the doctor looked at the results and he said, this is unheard of. He said, have you had a twin that had never had COVID, had perfect lungs? You would beat him. He said, if you fell, it's like you fell off a four-story building and you didn't break any bones. Every single one of your numbers are way above normal. To God be the glory. God gets the glory for that. And I just share the story with you so that he gets the glory and also so it will increase your faith to believe, to know that he is at work. Oh, there's one big part I forgot to tell you. On that 24th day, when all of us were praying, it was pretty somber. If you can imagine the heaviness that we were all experiencing until at the end, our 16 year old grandson, he began to pray and he said, oh God, I love the story that you're writing. You're writing a marvelous story. And I know what the doctors are saying, but I know you're still in the business of being a miracle working God, you are still the God of restoration. And I believe for complete healing for my grandpa in Jesus' name. And he prayed with faith. And our faith was listed. The other part I forgot to tell you was that we have, five of us have um, Facebook friends. And there are thousands in those numbers of friends if you put them all together. And a week before, I'd ask everybody to pray. The night before the miracle, I, I had a friend that said, Debbie, I'm going to fast. Why don't you ask your family to fast? And I asked my Facebook friends to fast, and some of you did. Thank you for praying. 
thank you for fasting. God heard, God answered, and we celebrate him. So um, I would love to tell you about the long nights and the conversations, but that would take too long. Thank you. But, and I, but I will say this. This is not a commercial. I think this is to, it's, it was designed to strengthen people. Our son actually produced a 36-minute documentary, video documentary, that uh, I think some of you have seen. You can view it. It's all 10 of, I mean, 10 of our family, our grown children, Debbie and I, if you'll, if you'll just go online and, and, I say Google, but go online and go to godofmiracles.co, not com, but co, godofmiracles.co, it'll pop up and probably it'll be very strengthening to you. Many pastors are using it for their Sunday morning message. So... Let me, let me charge on here. I'm going to review quickly. I, I, it breaks my heart. I don't know how to praise God well. He deserves what I don't know how to give. And so even this, I said I'm practicing on you, and I'm not going to get to practice much. But I want to go over this with you. I had bacterial pneumonia, and 37% of people my age who had bacterial pneumonia actually die. That was the thing that they didn't even pay attention to. On top of that, I had COVID-19 at my age, viral pneumonia, COVID viral pneumonia, and they don't have any stats for that, but they just were warning everyone, you, you've heard it all, old guys can't handle it. So we don't know what the stats are on that one. Then I had severe acute respiratory disease syndrome, they call it ARDS, severe ARDS, which 90% fatality rate by itself. If, if that's all I had, 90% chance I wouldn't make it. One out of ten chances of making it. Add to that bilateral pulmonary embolism. That means blood clots in both arteries between my lungs and my brain. Eighty to ninety percent of people who have that die. I had all of them. Doctor said, no chance. No known survivors. Do you believe in the God of miracles? Come on, church. The stories are stunning of what the doctors have said. They've danced in trying to say, we have no explanation. Some said, you've got a miracle. Some said, this, what, for, for lungs to need 65 liters of oxygen to function means the lungs aren't functioning at all. Take it down. It takes weeks, sometimes months, to go down five points. And they went on and on. This can't be. But in a moment. It's a pretty big deal. I mean, oh, I was going to start telling you my story, but I don't have time for that. So, here we go. But God, do you believe in miracles? You know... Well, take it or leave it. <laughs> it's a big deal. Um, let, let me just give you a little bit of my history. 
1969, before I knew any of you, I was called to pastor, scared to death, and determined that the reason I would be, the reason I would be willing to leave teaching and coaching would be that Jesus showed me how he wanted me to pastor. And so I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for six years, over and over and over, taking notes. something for me to do as a pastor. I mean, I'll pray for them, but raise them? I'm going to write it down. It wasn't in my list of things to do. Then in 1984, Debbie and I have a very, very dear friend, friends, who, who went through trauma of unbelievable significance. And when I saw the power of evil in war with the power of good... God against Satan, I said, I've seen what man can do, a little bit arrogant. I'd been pastoring 15 years and had very meaningful times. But as I looked at it, I said, I've seen what man can do. I've got to see what God can do. That was my mantra for a couple decades, more than that. Then, up to the present, December 10th, 2020, we personally experienced the God of miracles, which I have been looking for, wrestling with, studying, going all over the country to come to grips with what the Bible says, what we see, reports of hearing, but not seeing all the tension that we all live with, with people who are suffering horrifically and we pray for them and we don't see the healing. Everybody, everybody understand that deeply and profoundly? So today I want to talk about it. So here's what we're going to do. What is the biblical basis for miracles? And why must I contend for them? Well, I really worked on that, used most of my time to get ready for the message, and it actually turned into about a six-hour conference, and I decided you didn't want that. So we won't be doing that. What more, what must I become and do to see more and greater miracles? Well, that's the rest of the conference. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. So, you're dismissed. No. What we will do is this. Let me just talk to you a little bit. Jesus Christ is the same. You know it. Yesterday, today, and forever. True or false? So, what he did, Lazarus, he's the same today. Right? Hmm. Okay. But do you believe that? Do you believe? Faith is a fight. Because we see and we hear, don't we? But God said, where are we going to go? In fact, as I was preparing this, if you decide that a couple of Sundays you still want us back, um, I'm not sure where we're going yet, but as I was preparing this, I thought, probably need to really talk about faith, the fight. It's a fight. Paul called it that. 
Because you just can't help but believe what you experience. It's real. It's tangible. It's material. It makes sense to you. But what God said is very different than what we experience. Who are we going to believe? What we see or what is written? It's a battle for many people. We don't say keep the faith for nothing. So, Jesus is here. Do we agree? Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, the Jesus who raised Lazarus back then is here today. True? Dwells in every one of you who have authentically recognized who he is, received him as Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, and you changed kings. You entered a new kingdom. You entered a new domain, a whole new way of living. You moved out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of light, into a realm, a domain, where what we see is not chief and governmental. What we hear and know by faith is how we live our lives. Everyone who made that covenant called repentance, you change your mind to quit trusting in you, your resources, your ability, ability for people you know, and to put your faith in God, that's a whole different realm. Jesus said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is here today. That same, this same Jesus. We sang that as a musical when I was here. Never mind, don't reminisce. Okay. This same Jesus, do you remember that? Bill Gates, never mind, okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Look around. What do you see? Just take a look around. What do you see? What do you notice? See anything? Look hard. There's something. You got it? Let me tell you what I see. I see the bride of Christ. I'm looking at Jesus' girlfriend that he died to have for the joy set before him. Revelation 22 says, the spirit and the bride Say to Jesus, come. You are called the bride before Jesus comes back. Correct? So guys, get used to it. Just look at your nice white dress. Okay? We are the bride of Christ. It's very, very significant. Paul emphatically says, he says that that husbands and wives are to be one. The two shall become one flesh. You all know this. And then it says, I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. Look around. It's not just the church you see. You're seeing Jesus' bride. And and it's huge. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I love this. All things pass away. For those who are in Christ, all things pass away. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything becomes new. Well, when I was born from above, I kept the same hair. I was still little. I, I, I couldn't see everything becoming new. And over time, I came up with something that satisfied me to what that probably meant, at least what it meant for me. Because in my old life, in my pre-Christ life, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to wander here. How am I doing? I'm supposed to be down here. Come on. This is where I like to be, but they told me I couldn't be, so. (laughs) In my old life, it was my party. 
I did what I wanted, said what I wanted. It, it was me. I was, I was single. I was single. But then I was crucified. And I was buried with Christ. And I was raised to all things have become new. I was raised to newness of life. You know what it looks like? There was me before Jesus, and that me got crucified and was buried with Christ. And when I was raised from the dead, guess what happened? I came out like this. It wasn't just me. I was born from above. I was born of the Spirit, and now it's Jesus and me. I'm no longer single. I'm married. Jesus didn't do it cheaply. It cost him everything. He died to establish covenant, a marriage-type covenant. He gave his whole, he left everything, like to talk about that. He left everything and came and suffered heinous, we all know it, so that he could throw open the doors so that whosoever would could respond to his invitation to come be his bride. And he didn't force his way in. He won our heart by knocking, and he we opened the door, and he came to live in my house. He moved in. He brought his suitcase. He stayed. I'm married to Jesus. Not physically, but spirit and soul. So that the two are intended to become one. When Jesus thinks this, and I think this, husbands and wives, you're tracking with me. When you think this and she thinks this, the two are not one. Everybody say amen. It's, yeah, you get it. Okay. So there's work to be done for the two to become one. Jesus came, died, suffered, that he might come, not to take me to heaven, but to bring heaven and put it inside of me so that the two could become one. And I, all things passed away. It used to be me. I decided I did what I want. Now I have a new life. My new life is Christ in me, the hope of glory, not the guarantee. Glory is the manifest presence of God. It's the hope of glory that when Christ in me, when he thinks this and I think this and he knocks, he knocks at the door of the church, he knocks. And I've already made a covenant with him that when we disagree, we'll assume that you're probably right and I'm wrong. And, and I'll repent and the two become one, then in common mind without tension, can you survive if you disagree? In a common mind, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of my mouth come the words and the works out of my life of Jesus. So the two are one. You're the bride of Christ. That's who you are. Do you realize that? He came to live in you. Is, is he worthy of your attention? Does he deserve conversation? I mean, Debbie and I kind of have this deal that, that she doesn't fill up my schedule without kind of checking with me first and vice versa. We talk about even should we go to McDonald's or Burger King? And sometimes she says, are there any other options? No, she Paul in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, my heart, my heart's concerned. I, I helped you come into this life and, and my fear is that you might be seduced away from your husband, Jesus. You're the bride of Christ. You believe it? It's a 
very important understanding of our relationship with him. So, <laughs> let me divert a second here. Remember, you all know the story of John chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples get invited to a little wedding party. Remember that? Okay, and, and, and Mary, Jesus' mother, shows up, or she's there. And, and they run out of wine. Got it? You all know it, I assume. So, she, she comes to Jesus, and uh, she looks at him. And she says, uh, they've run out of wine. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, well, Mom, uh, 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 it's not really my time. And she looked at him. Did your mother ever look at you? She looked at him. And I know what she was thinking. She was thinking, and Jesus knew it, she was thinking, you know that I know who you are. Then she turns on to the servants and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She looked back at him again. The look. And Jesus, who had a father, not Joseph, that was his dad, but a father, Jesus did nothing apart from his father. That's what made Jesus Jesus. That's why when he died on the cross, it wasn't for his sin. It was for yours. Because Jesus never lived independently. He always related to his father like we're called to relate to him. He was married to his father. The father and I are one. My father's always with me. So Jesus just being what he always was, always he, he didn't treat his father as if the father didn't matter or didn't exist. He treated his father as if, as if the father was really important to him. So Jesus did what he always did. Before he said anything or did anything, he checked up with his father and he said, they had a conversation. He said, my mom uh, is bugging me. I mean, I don't know what he said. But, yep. And then <laughs> Jesus told the servants, Go fill up the vases. And we know the rest of the story. The look. Now, I have a question. What, who do you think has more influence with Jesus? His mother or his bride? Come on. Different. He even said it. So, so over in John 15, a few chapters down, Jesus talked about biting. You're all very familiar with this. You're biting me, my words are biting you. Da, 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 da. Apart from me, you can apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he makes this statement. He says, in John 15, 7, he says, if you abide in me, ask. Whatever you will, and I'll do it. Well, that's a terrible verse of Scripture. But it's written. Jesus, if you abide in me, that's the marriage picture. If you are open to me and receive me, those who received him, who believed in him, if you receive my truth, my words, if you receive me, then I'll do whatever you ask. I want you to know, bride, you have tremendous influence with Jesus. I said all that to say that. You have tremendous influence. You're his bride. Do you believe it? 
I've said that about 10 times so far today. Do you believe it? Faith is a fight. Do you believe you have influence with Jesus? You do. You do. And at the end, I'm going to risk something, and we won't, we won't stress about it. I am going to invite some people who actually believe that they have influence with Jesus, number one, and number two, that they're led to come to the front. I'm going to invite you to come to the front if you're led by the Spirit to say, I will pray for you and we'll invite others who have a need to come to the bride of Christ who has influence with the groom. So be listening. So, you're the bride of Christ. Amen? Do you believe that? That you have influence with Jesus? Because you're his bride. He actually loves you. He died to have relationship with you. Do you believe it? Are you important? Do you have influence? Let's try some more. Look around. <laughs> now you're on to me. Look around. What do you see? Clock. I'll tell you what I can see. I see the body of Christ. One of the reasons I love Christmas is because of John 1.14. And the word became flesh. I love it. I preached it here one Christmas. I love it. I like to preach about it every Sunday. That's why I love Jesus so much. The word became flesh. Let me tell you what's going on there. You don't have to agree. Let me tell you my opinion. You see, what did Jesus look like? Do you know? Does anybody know? Does he look like the guy on the Passion of the Christ? Maybe. Was he tall, short, skinny, heavy, uh, long hair, short hair? Does anybody know? So we have a hint in Isaiah. We don't know if that's before he was beaten and battered after. I don't remember exactly. But, but that even hints that he wasn't all that good looking. But let's not push that too far. Surely Jesus was good looking. I mean, surely. Come on. Well, anyhow. When the word became flesh, let me tell you what happened. This is, there's, there's no questions about this. The word, truth, okay, they talked about Jesus as truth. The word, truth, is an idea. It's a concept. It's immaterial. You have ideas, right? You, you all have ideas. You have thoughts? Any of you have thoughts? They're not material. You couldn't weigh your thoughts, right? You couldn't take a picture of your thoughts, they're not material. In fact, in our culture, it's kind of interesting. Do, do you realize what the word immaterial means in our culture? Immaterial? It doesn't matter, right? So in our culture, if it's not matter, it's immaterial. It doesn't matter. But the only thing you're going to take with you to heaven for the rest of your day is something that's immaterial. You're not going to take your body. You're going to take your thoughts, your soul, your emotions, your desire. You're going to take your personality, that part of you which is made in the image of God. So Jesus, the word, the truth, the eternal word, the eternal truth, 
had thoughts, had ideas. That incidentally, he was tempted in all ways like you are. True? So that means he had some bad thoughts. Right? But he didn't ever give in to them. But he had thoughts. He also had thoughts he was led by the Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit talks to us, my sheep hear my voice, the way the Holy Spirit talks to us is most of the time in thoughts and seldom with lightning flashes. If we just look at what we're thinking and realize that we got a lot of flesh in us, we got a lot of bad ideas, but we got some really good ideas. Guess where every good and perfect idea comes from? Where does every good and perfect gift come from? God talks to us. So God the Father, Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from my Father. God the Father, by the Spirit, spoke to Jesus. And the Word, the truth, the intangible, that which you can't see, that which you can't hear, that which you can't wait, the intangible concept, ideal, became flesh through Jesus. Right? So that's, that's, what we see when we see Jesus. I don't know what he looked like, but we do know that what we see is what God is like if God had a body. Right? Hello? Yes, no? You awake? Okay, good. Okay. So, I hope you're, I hope I'm not talking too long here. So the word became flesh. Let, let, let me try to say this. I, I'd like to tell you a story about our son, but that would take too long. So I'm trying to hurry. Um, I was thinking, I remember John 21, one morning Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples, fish, right? And so he did it because his father told him to, he, by the Spirit, whatever he did, that you could see or touch or feel or hear or smell, that, that's because the, the intangible word spoke and the word became flesh, right? Make sense? So he did that. So he's out next to the lake cooking fish. I saw some people a long time ago. They were cooking hot dogs. It wasn't a lake. It was out in the field around here. They were cooking hot dogs for a bunch of teenagers. Now, the teenagers thought it was Dave and Judy, but it was really Jesus. You know why? Because the word the leading of the Spirit, the intangible, immaterial, unknowable, though knowable, the Word was heard and trusted and obeyed. And so I don't want to embarrass them, but they looked a little different then, but they're still, the Word is still becoming flesh. That's what Jesus looks like today. Whenever Jesus' body, whenever Jesus' body is connected to the head. Here's the word of the head. Jesus is the head of the body, right? And believes it enough to say it and do it. The word becomes flesh, and we see Jesus today. We are the body of Christ. Do you know why so many lost people are lost? Because they don't see Jesus. They see mostly flesh and so little spirit that they don't, they're, not in, they're not impressed, they're not attracted. Everybody awake? The Word became flesh. I remember. I'm going to try. There was this crazy little school called Kindercastle. You still, do you still call it Kindercastle? 
Never mind. I read that. Okay. That was back at the Civil War time. Anyhow, so, so there, was, there was this little school called Kindercastle. And all these little kids were coming, and they didn't know it, but they kept running into Jesus. Let the children come to me. Now, now the adults called them Dorothy or Rosella. But what the little kids ran into was Jesus, the body of Christ. Because that's what Jesus looks like today. It's, 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 not, a, it's not just a tricky little, tricky little play on words. It is the reality that you and I, as the body of Christ, are intended to materialize the immaterial truth, the word. The word is just an idea. It doesn't do any good until it becomes material because people can't see it or hear it or smell it. The aroma of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. There were lots of times sitting around a piano in the other room over there where, where a real smiley, nice lady would play and sing over people. Everybody thought it was Kay. It was Jesus. It looked like Kay, but Kay died. She'd been crucified with Christ. Now she's raised to newness of life. And now it's not her, but it's Christ in and through her. You see, the word is intended to become flesh over and over and over through the body of Christ. Agree? Do you really? I could pick on some current sin, but I won't. But, but I'm not sure you're buying this. Do you realize how important you are? It's, it's one thing to be Jesus' bride. That's really big deal. It's another thing to be his body. You are the body of Christ. How Jesus raised the dead, how Jesus walked on water, how Jesus commanded lepers to be healed, how that happened was he heard the Holy Spirit say, heal them, walk. And Jesus listened, he believed, he obeyed, and faithful is he who calls who will do it. And when Jesus listened to, believed, cooperated with his Father who was always with him, when Jesus heard and acted in response to the Father, God empowered Jesus to be what we call Jesus. And it's exactly the same today. Hasn't changed. Jesus said, better that I go away. Because if I go away, I'll give you my spirit. That's how I live. I left everything else behind. Doesn't matter if Jesus, if Jesus left his, his, you know, some translations, and there's arguments about this. It doesn't matter how Jesus did it, whether he, he didn't have the capacities as God or he wouldn't use them. It doesn't matter because either way, he didn't use the capacities of God to do what he did. He did what he did with exactly the same stuff that you've got because you have access to the Holy Spirit just as he did. You shall receive power when the comes upon you. Do you know who you are? You're the body. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's his body. Do you know what? We have the same opportunity as Jesus had. Father, what do you want to do? I want to heal them. Okay, I believe. Be healed. 
Am I pushing too close to the edge for your theology? Wrestle with it. Okay, here we go. Look around. What do you, can I preach a long time today? I'm just about through. You know what that means. Absolutely nothing. Look around. <laughs> what else do you see? I'll go fast. What else do you see? Here's what you see. You see disciples of Jesus. Already alluded to this, Matthew 28. It says, as you're going, make disciples, baptizing them. Everyone who is baptized into the body of Christ is to be a disciple of Jesus. That's who we're to baptize, our disciples. As you're going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, right? Sorry. We together? So, we need to do that. Here's Jesus' command. Look at it. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Kidding. Teach them to obey everything I commanded. So you're disciples of Jesus. You're to be taught to obey everything Jesus commanded. Raise the dead. I haven't done that. I can't do it. We'll talk about that for a moment. But that is the command. When I pastored this church, I hope it's still true, this church was stunning for a word called obedience. Stunning. Never pastored another church like it. They understood obedience. Don't have time to preach about it. That's a command. Jesus didn't say, it'd be nice, or I, I encourage you. He said, Pow. amen? Am I cheating on Scripture here? I skipped that when I was studying. Can't skip it anymore. So Jesus commanded us and given us authority, thus responsibly to drive out the impure spirits and to heal every disease and sick and even raise the dead? Come on. I haven't seen it happen through me, but I'm young. I hope to see it on this side. We know that if we believe, we'll see the glory of God. That's the manifest presence of God. That God really wants us to quit relying on our own abilities, on what we have seen and heard or can do. And he really wants us to believe that the God of the universe is the God of miracles who speaks and the universe comes into existence, who speaks and everything is sustained by the power of his word. He speaks and people are healed. Right? We know that if we believe, I said it's a fight of faith. So that's on our side. You've got all sorts of things in your mind. I do. You've seen people prayed for it. And then again, you, 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 you took pictures of it. You recorded it. And it's in, in cement. And then you read the Bible. Well, that's nice. But, and it hits kunk. Because you've already decided if you're living by the flesh. We know that everything is possible for the ones who believe. Really. Everything. Is a church supposed to do what Jesus did? We know that whoever believes in Jesus will do the very works he did. Huh. 
So I'm not talking out of a lot of experience as a doer of this word. I'm talking about experience as one who's the recipient of a miracle. We know that whoever believes in Jesus will do the very works he did. In fact, even greater things because he went to the Father and sent the Spirit. Better that I be in you. We receive power when we receive the person. There's no magic. There's no insidious power. Uh, there's not a chunk of power that you have. You have a person dwelling in you. And when the conditions are right and the conditions are abide, when the conditions are right, the one who has all power and dwells in you will send his word and he'll say, heal the sick, raise the dead. And when we believe and obey and proclaim it, God says he'll act. Am I messing with you too much today? See, see, we're called to be very, very, very different than the world. Old things passed away. Everything is new. You're the body of Christ. We're disciples of Jesus. The disciple won't be greater than his master, but he'll become like him. The exact same incomparable great power that raised Jesus from the dead indwells us. True or false? He's a person. He's a person and he talks. And he knows what will happen if he releases power. Our pride, our indifference, he knows. So it's not about power, it's about relationship. And whosoever will can have relationship. Anybody awake? Okay, one more. Look at me. What do you see? Don't say. I'll tell you what you don't see. Once upon a time, there was a guy who had an ear. When he went into the garden, someone chopped it off, and it fell on the ground, and he didn't have an ear, and he had a headache. And, blah. and then someone came and took that ear and pow, put it right back on his ear, on his head. And he could hear. You don't see that. True? Or, or what about a guy who'd, who'd been blind and, and then someone came along and made some mud and spit in his eye and then the guy could see. You don't see that. Or a guy who for 38 years had been an invalid or think invalid. An invalid. Okay, cultural twist. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. And then this guy comes and says, walk. You didn't, you didn't see that. You're seeing something equal to or greater than those miracles. You're looking at a biblical level miracle that's been preached about for centuries. Are you aware of that? My lungs were dead. I had Lazarus lungs. They were dead. They would not work. They could not work, doctor said. Had they been alive enough to heal normally, it would have taken months upon months upon months had they had life enough to heal in the normal healing. You're not looking at a healing. You're looking at a miracle. Pow! In a moment. You believe it? I'm not sure. Am I stretching this story? I mean, it's either, I think it's either true or false. You having a hard time believing, or do you really believe God does miracles? <laughs> I haven't preached. I mean, I'm a little nervous here. It's kind of new. 
haven't had that kind of miracle before. haven't seen one like that before. I have now. I can't. I'm in Thomas's camp. Jesus looked at Thomas and said, well, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who, having not seen, still believe. Well, I'm no longer in the camp of those who haven't seen. I've seen. Miracle. Faith comes by hearing. I'm trying to tell you, God does miracles. Do you believe? It's hard, isn't it? Are you nervous? Think about it. Freely I've received, freely I'm to give. Now let me quickly say, I actually have nothing to give. I have nothing. I'm just a bag of bones. However, I have a friend. In fact, he's more than a friend. He's a groom, and he dwells in me. And together we can do all things. This is a hard sermon, maybe. My friend's part in the miracle, I'm talking about Jesus, you're all aware, capital F. He talks to me based on his love for everyone and his wisdom in knowing what will happen if he releases the call to heal that results in his power being released. He knows what we'll do with it. I had a medical doctor who I didn't hardly know asked to make an appointment. He set an appointment with me. I got to his office. We talked. He said, the Lord told me that the reason, and let me say this, people ask me all the time, why do you think God healed you and hasn't healed so many others? I say, I don't have a clue. Well, you had a lot of people pray. I don't know. A lot of people had more. I don't know. I don't know why God healed me. The doctor said, I know why God healed you. He said, your family will steward the miracle well. We'll see. We'll see. My friend's part in the miracle, he talks, he speaks. God seldom does things in power, overpowering his people, but he always talks. He talks to me based on his love and wisdom. And then my part in the miracle is to listen, to quit talking, quit and shut up and listen, unless I'm preaching. And believe what God says. Believe him. And then do whatever he tells me to do. That's my part. And then God's part is he releases power. When he speaks, faithful as he calls, who will do it? But someone has to catch the ball and run with it. Jesus is really a good quarterback. He throws the ball to us all the time. The Holy Spirit talks. He teaches. He reminds. He guides. He talks. But someone has to catch the ball, receive it, believe what he says, not what our eyes tell us, Believe what he says. Fight for faith. Okay, thou sayest. Believe what he says. And then act on what he tells us to do. And then when he sees that kind of loyalty and faithfulness, then he says, I can trust him. And pow! God acts in power. Do you believe?